Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, if we haven't had the pleasure to meet, uh, my name is Jaron Young. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. Um, I am your substitute this morning. Uh, Owen is at home resting and getting well, as I know many others within our own church uh, and your families and community as well. Um, we just, let's remember, let's, let's continue to pray for one another. Uh, let's continue to serve one another and let's continue to trust the Lord together through all of this, that uh, there is hope for us and that we can trust what the Lord is doing, maybe even if it's beyond our understanding, beyond our sight, that we can trust him, we can walk by faith in this season. Um, <clears throat> as we enter this new year, it's hard not to think about the year we just walked away from. And I know many of us are ready to move on, but I, I do believe there are some things that we can learn uh, from where we've been and really from where we are now. If 2020 has taught us anything, it has taught us how desperately dependent we are on the mercy and the grace of God. The truth of the matter is, I know it's true for me, I would assume I am a common struggler with this, uh, we often like to run away from things and situations that reveal our weaknesses that reveal our inabilities, reveal our insufficiencies. We, we're not comfortable with that, to be honest. But believe it or not, God is, is kind to allow us to feel these things and to feel them deeply so that we will run to him and not away from him, trying to strive in our own strength and energy. In fact, God has given us a means by which to come to him with all of our bumps and bruises, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our failings, he invites us to come through prayer. And this morning, we're gonna look at Luke chapter 11, verses one through 13, and Jesus himself is going to teach us what it is to pray and its significance and importance. So before we do, let us stop and pause, and again, cry out to God for his help for us to see and to believe what is true this morning. Let's do that. God, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge and admit that in our own strength and, and power, we are weak, that we are unable, that we are insufficient. And so God, in order for us to hear, comprehend, and live by the truth that we're about to dive into this morning, we need your help. So God, I pray in my own heart and in the hearts of those in this room or at home, Lord, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning that we might be instructed and inspired to live, to display and proclaim the goodness of Jesus, our Savior, this morning and the days ahead of us. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, let's dive right in, shall we? In verse one, we see this, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So right from the beginning, we see a very good reason as to why we should pray. Uh, do we need any other reason to convince us of the importance of prayer? Jesus, the Son of God, took time to pray. Why in the world would we think we could ever exist apart from this gift, this practice of being able to cry out to God? And he goes on to say, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. 
And he said to them, when you pray, say this. And before we jump into what he says, let's take note of the fact that Jesus is, is an eager, willing partaker in teaching the disciples as well as us as to what it means to pray. And, and also take notice that what he's about to say is not necessarily trying to give us a script as if it's a, a collection of magical words that we must repeat every single time we pray. No doubt, we encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer, but it is not necessarily meant for us to pray every single time we pray. He is giving us a model. He's giving us an example. And this is what he says when he prays. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, we should pray as we learn from our Savior Jesus when he prayed, we should pray for God's name to be taken serious. We, we all live our lives for the sake of something, right? Most naturally, we want to be taken serious. We want our wants and our reputation to be taken serious. Yet there is no other name, even at the expense of our own, that we should pray and live for. We should desire above all other things that God's reputation be known, revered, and respected. Jesus goes on to say, says, your kingdom come. In our prayers, we should pray that God would rule and that God would reign. At creation, God's good design and loving authority ruled, but sin brought death. Sin brought destruction, and I am ready for sin and death to be a thing of the past. Aren't you this morning? we can pray and ask, even though God is victorious, he has already won the battle, right? We have already known and experienced what God has done for us, and yet we still wait for the completion of that, and we should pray for God's rule and reign. And there's two things in regards to these first two markers of prayer that, that we ought to take notice of this morning. First thing is this, we don't merely pray for God's reputation to be taken serious, nor his rule to have dominion on others only, but also within our own lives, in our own hearts. May my life, may our life reflect his holiness. May my life be reigned by God. May his kingdom come in me. And the other thing that we need to take notice of is that the first two requests in Jesus' example of prayer teach us that prayer always begins with God. I don't know if you can relate, but oftentimes I find myself being guilty of coming to him only because of my needs and only for my needs, not realizing that my greatest need is that his name would be revered and that his kingdom would come in me. That is my greatest need. That is our greatest need this morning. And only then should our needs come before the Lord. But as we even addressed in our prayer time earlier in the service, God does care about our needs. He goes on to say in, in verse 3 of chapter 11, give us each day our daily bread. And so our prayers should express an ongoing dependence on God for our daily needs. Consider the significance of the word daily that Jesus is using here. It's as if to say and to pray, Lord, just give me enough so I can make it through today. No more no less. Just give me what I need. And then what about bread? Such a basic resource in life as if Jesus is reminding us that our needs are actually few. And if all we have is the basics, bread, with that we should be content. 
Moving on, we see that God uh, doesn't want us only to pray for our earthly needs, but also wants us to pray for our spiritual ones as well. Look at verse 4. Jesus prays, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive ourselves, or for we ourselves, sorry, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so our prayers should express an ongoing dependence on God for our forgiveness. And as we think about forgiveness, in order for us to seek forgiveness and to desire forgiveness, there must be some other things at work and at play in our heart. First of all, uh, you genuinely understand that God's name is holy. You genuinely understand that his kingdom must and will come. And with that awareness, with that realization, you genuinely then also understand that naturally in sin, our actions, our words, and our thoughts do not perfectly uphold Jesus' name and the desires that he wants for us. But at the same time, we also don't perfectly uphold his kingdom in us, but instead our own kingdom. And so when we come to this realization, this brings us to a point of humility and it positions us to then seek the forgiveness of God. And so yes, God, forgiveness, we acknowledge and realize how far we fall short of your glory. God, would you forgive us? That is a humility that he is working out in us. But thirdly, we see also that forgiven people forgive. When we have experienced, when we have known what God has done for us, when we have known the depth of our depravity and our sin, and recognize God's grace and love for us, we can't help but also forgive others. Yes, you, you may still hurt, from that pain, but because of what God has done for you, you then can choose to forgive. So why not take time to think about over the last year in your past, who are you withholding grace from? Who do you need to forgive just as God has forgiven you? In verse four, Jesus goes on and says, and lead us not into temptation. And so our prayers should express an ongoing dependence on God for our spiritual protection. Now let's, let's be careful and make sure we understand this is not implying that God actually leads us into temptation. We know in James chapter one, uh, verses 13 through 16, James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so to pray, God, lead me not into temptation. To pray that is to honestly admit that you are weak and that you are prone to giving in to temptation. So it would be best to avoid the temptation altogether. In God's grace, we can be led away from temptation. I know for all of us this morning, when we hear the things of sin and temptation, we immediately personalize that and think about currently what is hounding us now in the areas of sin and temptation. But have you ever thought about all the temptations you have not yet had to face or are not facing now? That is a grace of God, and we should pray for more of this. Yet even still, when you and I face the toughest of temptations, we can remember promises like 1 Corinthians 13. It promises us that our temptations are everyone's temptation. 
They are common. We are not alone. But yet, even as we wrestle with sin, God is faithful. He won't let you face anything you can't face together with him because he has already won the victory. He has already won the victory for the struggle that you are experiencing now currently with sin. Your escape, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, is Jesus, and that is good news this morning. So Jesus just took some time to model for us prayer, and then he begins to illustrate a little bit, to teach us, to help us understand a little bit more about prayer. Let's look at that in verses 5 through 8 this morning. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. At first glance, this can seem like a, a peculiar story. Uh, when we read scripture, it is important, especially a text like this, um, we're often drawn to, to take our culture, to take our circumstances and place it within the situation that we happen to be reading within scripture. Uh, we, we can't do that. And so what did this story that Jesus in particular just shared, what did it mean to his original audience? That's where we can begin to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Being a host to a guest in your home was a sacred duty. It wasn't taken lightly. It was a great dishonor to not take care of your guests, especially a guest who had been traveling. In Jesus' day, you would assume and know that traveling was extremely difficult, and upon arrival, the guest was likely tired, hungry, and it was the host's duty to provide for him. And, and this man has nothing to offer his traveling friend, and of course, has no access to a 24-hour Walmart as well. His only option, his only option is to go and bang on the door of his neighbor's house in the middle of the night. And so what does this story that Jesus is sharing here teach us about prayer? There's a, there's a few things that I want to highlight. And, and the first one is this, the, the man, the host who received the traveling guest is approaching his neighbor friend at midnight, tells us that he was desperate. Jesus says in verse 5, he says, which of you, and what he means is, is put yourself in the situation of this guy. And so we have to ask ourselves, would we go to our neighbor's home in the middle of the night for a loaf of bread? No, probably not. The obvious answer is no, but again, Jesus uses this man as an illustration to share with us how desperate he really was. And, and being desperate, it led him to make a very bold request. Only a desperate man would even consider going to his neighbor in the middle of the night to bother him for a loaf of bread. The honor of his traveling guest was at stake. And so again, hospitality, it was a sacred duty. And it was important to this man. And it was worth testing the friendship of his neighbor by rudely waking him up in the middle of the night, again, for a loaf of bread. Are you beginning to see this man's desperation? Are you beginning to see his, his boldness? Desperation 
often makes us do bold things. But in, in Jesus' story here, strangely, the neighbor resists not only the man's initial request, but also the continuing requests. The neighbor tells him no very plainly in verse 7. Not only does he tell him no once, but four times in four different ways. Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, again, going back to Jesus' day, understanding their culture, people did not live in the type of homes that we live in today. Most likely, they didn't even have bedrooms, and so the family would sleep together within the same room. And so he's giving multiple excuses as to why he can't help his friend. But in reality, the excuses are not that persuasive. Yes, it's in the middle of the night. We'll give him that. But even still, if the door is shut, it can be open. If the kids wake up, they can go back to sleep. And so the issue here with the neighbor is not that he couldn't help, but that he wouldn't. He wasn't willing. He's got bread, but he just wants to be left alone, and he wants his neighbor to go home. But the host's response to the apparent rejection is incredible. The man ignores his neighbor's rejection, persists in his request for bread, and finally the neighbor gives up and gives in. Now parents, I think we can identify a little bit, maybe particularly with this neighbor. We love our kids, right? But man, when they want something, they don't stop letting you know they want something. They are persistent. And I'm actually, yeah, I guess I'm thankful for that in my kids because it reminds me of what Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer because this host certainly is persistent. He begs for bread and the neighbor continually rejects this request. But oddly and amazingly, the host keeps begging and doesn't give up. Eventually, the neighbor in bed realizes you know, it's just going to be easier just to get out of bed and give him what he needs instead of continually having this conversation back and forth, back and forth. And so the neighbor gives in to the host request. And it's interesting, not out of love. He's, he's not giving in out of friendship. He's giving in because he's annoyed and he wants him to stop. Give him what he wants so that he will be on his way. And so he did it because this man had the boldness to knock on his door in the middle of the night and was not going to take no for an answer. The man was not leaving until he got his loaf of bread. And it took a neighbor a while to realize it, but eventually he did to the man's pers persistence. And here is a valuable thing that we need to learn. And this story teaches us an amazing thing about God's character, but also about us when we talk about prayer. The key word in this story for us is, is the word impudence in the ESV. Now, you may be reading another translation, NIV or whatnot, shameless audacity, maybe another way um, it's translated. The word impudence in, in the original meaning is to act without any sensibility, to act without shame, uh, disgrace. In translation, in the context of prayer, when we pray, here's, here's what we learn from the host. When we pray, we are not to tippy-toe around our requests, assuming God doesn't have the time to hear or even respond to our requests. Quite the opposite. We should daringly and boldly cry out to God and shamelessly present our needs before him and continue to pray about them until we get an answer. Unlike the neighbor, God is not annoyed by your requests. 
but he welcomes bold and persistent requests. If even the rudest of neighbors will be persuaded in the middle of the night to answer bold and persistent requests of this friend, how much more will our Father in heaven hear us when we cry out in desperation for him to move in our lives, in our family, in our church, and in our community? Jesus is not comparing this neighbor to God. He is contrasting this neighbor to God. God wants us to bother him, but we know we are not bothering him. But within the context of this story, God wants you to be shameless and to be bold and brazen to approach him because it is a throne of grace and he welcomes those who are needy. Philip Riken in his commentary says, prayer is not a way of getting God to do what we want or to persuade him to do something that he does not want to do. Prayer is a daringly bold request for God to do what he has promised to do. When we pray for God to fulfill his promises in us, prayer lists will have less to do with our worldly wants and wishes and have more to do with God's word becoming more of a reality in our lives and the lives around us. When we pray according to God's promises, we pray as if God could not refuse. This is good news for us this morning, that we can come before his throne and boldly beg for what he has promised us in his word. Speaking of promises, Jesus makes some promises to us as we look through verses 9 through 12. Specifically, let's look at 9 and 10. Jesus is, is, is stressing the importance of preserving in prayer. And so to pray bold prayers and to continue praying them over and over and over again, it, it can seem as though those prayers are even going unanswered. When that happens, it can be difficult. It can be hard. Many people grow tired and give up, but that's not what Jesus wants to communicate to us. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, what we miss out in our English language from this verse is a, a more truer meaning of what really Jesus is trying to communicate. To ask, to seek, and to knock is, is not a one-time thing. It's What's communicating here, what Jesus is saying, is it's a continuous action. And so in other words, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, you will receive, find, and it will be open to you. And so we are invited to pray and to keep praying bold, God-sized things for him to do a work in our lives and the lives around us and to not give up in that endeavor. And in case this morning you're, you're doubting God's generosity, Jesus wants to convince you with another illustration. Look what he says in verses 11 and, and 12. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Again, Jesus is using illustrations that appear Somewhat strange. No one would go to a neighbor in the middle of the night for a loaf of bread, and equally no decent father would cruelly give his son something dangerous when he's asked for something good. 
And so the reality is, is that though most fathers are decent and would give their son what they asked for, they are nevertheless still sinful, but not our Heavenly Father. He's, he's more than decent. In fact, he's perfect. He knows what we need. He knows how to care for us more than we know how to care for ourselves. How much more will God give us good and holy things, even if those holy things come packaged differently than we would assume them to be packaged? He, again, he knows how to provide for us more than we know how to provide for ourselves. He knows what we truly need. Jonathan Edwards says this, says it's, it's very apparent from the word of God that God often tries the faith and the patience of his people when they cry out to him for some great and important mercy. He tries their patience by withholding the mercy they seek for a season. Not only so, but at first he may cause an increase of dark appearances and he, without fail, at last, prospers those who continue urgently in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go until he blesses him. Let's keep asking. Let's keep knocking. Let's keep seeking. And, and finally, this leads to the final verse of this passage and really the pinnacle of what Jesus is trying to communicate here because Jesus is bringing some context to his promises on prayer. As we've progressed through these two parables on prayer, it can appear that they are both pointed to our material needs. We might be tempted to think that our greatest needs consist of something physical, but what we see is that the pinnacle of Jesus' instruction on prayer lands squarely on something very non-physical. Look at verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Of all the things God could give us, of all the things we should desire and seek from God, the greatest of things is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Guys, without the work of the Spirit, we are nothing. The greatest things personally that we could ever know and experience on our own are just dead pleasures of this world. Even as a church, the greatest things we would ever know and experience apart from the Spirit working in and through us are dead works that will accomplish absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. And let's not kid ourselves. The old hymn, Come Thou Fount, is right we are prone to leave the God we love. In fact, without the Spirit, it's a sure bet that we will. Do we realize, are we coming to grips this morning with how desperately dependent we are on the mercy and grace of God? 2020 is surely getting us down that road, but there is still more to discover and unpack about how desperate we are for the Spirit to work in our lives. It's only by the work of the Spirit that we as individuals will let go of this world and run after Jesus. It's only by the work of the Spirit that we as a church will be more concerned with the honor of Jesus' name and not the honor of our own name, our own agenda and opinions. And, and I want to ask you this morning, as you hear this, are, are you beginning to lose some confidence in yourself? 
Are you beginning to lose some confidence in your church, in the leadership here? My prayer is that this would actually be a reality for you because then and only then we will fall on our face and ask God for what he freely is willing to give himself in the Holy Spirit. Our hope cannot be in flesh. Our hope can only be in the Lord, and he has provided that through the Spirit. And so may the primary work that you and I pursue as individuals be less about our own pleasures and our own comforts, but asking the Spirit to rid our affections for this world so that our affection might be fully consumed with the pleasures of Jesus. And Jesus longs to answer this prayer. May the primary work that we pursue as a church be less about what we might can put on a calendar, but be more about us together becoming hungry for the work of God in our lives, that we would rather spend time together begging the Spirit for his sanctifying works in our heart. Let's passionately pray for what God cannot refuse to give us when we cry out to him. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What important mercy are you in need of this morning? And what keeps you from unashamedly banging on God's door in the middle of the night with boldness in your hour of desperation saying, God, I need bread. God invites us to bother him, but we are no bother. God invites you to come with all that is in your heart that grips you with fear, confusion, sorrow, frustration, and to say, God, I can't, but I trust that you can because you care for me. He invites us to come. He invites us to bring our weaknesses, to bring our lack of affection for him, and to say, God, renew my heart. Would you change me? He, he longs to answer those prayers. He invites us. And let us, let us keep seeking. Let us keep asking and knocking, especially for the ministry of his spirit in us. And, and how appropriate as we await for Owen to teach us on the fruit of the Spirit in the coming weeks, may we collectively as a church, as we prepare for that, may we ask God for clarity, may we ask him for boldness that the Spirit might move mightily in us for God's great name and his kingdom to first come in us and that it might also come in our community and the nations. This is our prayer and this is our invitation. Let's close with a time of prayer. God, it's only through your spirit that we can know and live for you. And God, I pray for a mighty work of your spirit in us. I pray this morning for the person who has never come to you through the name of Jesus Christ. Will they be convinced today that you are eager to be their rescuer and Lord? God, I pray for the believer today in this room or at home, who feels trapped by sin and its consequences. God, may they cry out for mercy, for you are quick to forgive and offer hope. God, I pray for the person who's grown especially cold in their faith, and they know it. 
and they find that their affections are weak and tainted, may they pray for the Spirit to awaken within them a, a fire for your kingdom. God, for the person trapped in fear this morning, Lord, would you give them hope? May they pray for the work of the Spirit to fill them with faith, to trust that you care and that you are aware of their situation and that they can have hope and rest in you. God, personally, I, I pray do whatever it takes. Use whatever circumstances you need, deem necessary to make me love the things of this world less and your kingdom more. God, may your name be hallowed in me. May your kingdom come in me. God, we need you. We need you desperately. But God, this morning we choose hope and we thank you for the promises that you are eager to hear and you are eager to respond to those who humble themselves and cry out to you and do so over and over again. Lord, we thank you for that invitation this morning. Lord, do a work in us. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning, church, and those of you at home. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, I would greatly invite you to come to me this morning after the service is over to, to speak with you and pray for you. But I encourage you to acknowledge those things in your life and ask for the Lord's help. Acknowledge those things with others around you. And let others come alongside you and pray for you as well. But if there's any way we can encourage you this morning, please don't hesitate to do that. Thank you so much. Y'all have a, a great Sunday. Be blessed.